I normally mess that up. I'm technically challenged. You know, most people my age are, and those of you my age that aren't, well, God bless you. <laughs> um, again, like I said up there, my name is Mark George. I've guessed, I guess preached at many different churches. My wife and I have traveled to multiple countries, spreading the word of God. And today, I really want to talk about what's happening in our country. And uh, we are going to get to Mother's Day, so you mothers don't. Don't, don't get too anxious, we are. And uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about today about what's happening in our country. You know, everywhere I go and everything I see and whoever I talk to, we're worried. We don't know what direction we're going. We don't know what's going to happen next. Things are coming at us so fast that we can't adjust our way of living fast enough to compensate for those things that are coming at us. Our school systems are shut down in most cases. And we uh, have this, our country has an absolute mess as some of us see it. Now, some people on the other, other side will see that it's going just the way they want it. And others say it's done, it's divided us. We have not been united. We've been completely divided in everything that is going on in our nation. And everywhere you go and whoever you talk to, at some point, the conversation will turn to the gloom and doom of what's going on. Well, I'm here to tell you today that while these things are real and they're happening and we need to be aware of them and we need to prepare for them, we do not have to live in the gloom and doom that we find ourselves talking about all the time. You know, that gloom and doom many times comes back to our dinner tables and in our dinner conversations, our relaxed conversations with our children around, and it goes into our children when they hear that. Now, don't make no mistake, just because they're young doesn't mean that they don't understand. A two-year-old child knows when their parents are upset. They know when their parents are worried. They may not know the details, but they know that if you're worried, they need to be. And so we take this home and it bleeds off not only into our work, our health, our children, and it destroys who we are as a people. You know, God wrote a lot about this, and we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and I want to thank you for that reading. That's exactly what we're going to be. Before we get started with exactly what's, what we're doing in chapter 7, I want to kind of set the groundwork. It started uh, basically all the way with King David, and in chapter 6, it talks about how Solomon had built the temple, and Solomon prayed this very, very lengthy prayer to God. And I'm going to give you some highlights of that prayer. In chapter 6, it says in verse 12, it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. And then it goes on to say in verse 22, Solomon started basically his prayer, his petition before God. It says, If anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven. In verse 24, it says, if your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you and return and confess your name and pray and make supplications before you in this temple, then hear from heaven. In verse 26, it says that heavens, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because of their afflictions, then hear in heaven. 
Verse 28, it says, in, when there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight, or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, wherever plague or wherever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to this temple, then hear from heaven. Verse 34, it says, when your people go out to battle against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to you towards this city, which you have chosen, and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven. Verse 36, it says, when they sin against you, and you become angry with them, and deliver them into their enemies, and they take them captive to a land far or near, Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart, with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they have been carried captive and pray towards their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and toward the temple which I have built in your name and here from heaven. Wow. And that's just the in-between stuff that we pray. Lengthy, lengthy prayer. You know, this would be a very common prayer to the Israelites because these are all the things that Israel had put themselves through up to this point. And so what Solomon is basically saying is, is that if we repeat that stuff again, God, and we come to this temple and we repent, will you forgive us? Will you dwell with us? Will you show up and restore us? And do we pray like that in church sometimes? We did today. We truly did. We did intercession prayer. I was, I was blown away. I love the way this church does its prayer. It's just incredible. The praises, the prayer. What a testament to you as a church body. You know, I'm not a member here. I just come guest speak and See some smiling faces, and I haven't been here in what, about a year, I guess. You know, and I liked it that time, and I like it again. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you that I have the opportunity to, to give this message, Lord. I pray that you wrote it down in your holy book, that we could dissect it, that we could analyze it, and put it into our lives. I pray that everyone here sees your Holy Spirit and not me. I pray that they, everyone here, myself included, get what it is that you want us to get out of this reading this morning. Your son's holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, in chapter 7, after Solomon had prayed his prayer, it says in chapter 7, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven. And it says that it consumed the offering and the sacrifices. It says that the Lord filled the place so much that the priest couldn't even go in. And wow, that, wouldn't that be awesome if that happened here? What would we do, right? You know, we'd probably do what they did. They fell down on their knees. They, they couldn't stand in the presence of God. It says that when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord, they bowed their faces to the ground. I bet they did more than bow. I bet they bowed while they were on their hands and knees to the ground. Man, you know, that's never happened to me in all the countries that I've traveled to. But I wish it would. Don't you? 
the glory of the Lord around you. What a fuzzy feeling that would be. You know, we have these spider hairs on the back of our necks that would just stand up. You know, I, I don't know my <laughs> so yours have stood up before. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, here we go, and we and we're and the Lord's there, and the Lord's blessing the temple, and the people are all fired up. And this went on for seven days, the feast and the sacrifices. They sacrificed so many bulls and so many sheep. It's, the sheep were like a hundred something thousand sheep. And the sacrifices went on so long it took a week to perform all the sacrifices. This was a festival that lasted all week long, a festival of joyous occasion, praising the Lord. The temple was built, something that was started with King David. Solomon was promised to be able to build it. He built it, and the, the, the temple's been consecrated. The Lord has shown up, and now we're in the eighth day, and everybody's going home. You know, in verse 12, it says, then, Solomon, then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. This is the second appearance of the Lord came to Solomon. And he says, I have, in verse, it says, I have heard your prayer and chosen this place for myself. As a house of sacrifice. He says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. You know, for those of us who are uh, Bible warriors, Bible studies, Bible teachers, very familiar passages with all of this. Those of you that have been going to church for any length of time, this is probably a familiar passage to you. But have you ever taken the passage and totally broken it apart, totally analyzed exactly what he's saying here? Most people really haven't. They think the idea is to get on your knees and pray for our country and with a, with a torn heart. But it's deeper than that. That certainly is part of it. But this is such a deep meaning that it's important that we understand exactly what God is saying here. He's saying, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or pestilence among my people. He's basically saying when he withdraws his favor from us. You know, I see that happening in our country everywhere I turn. And we kind of ask ourselves, why is God, Jesus withdrawing his favor from a country that was founded on the principles of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the Christianity. Why? Why is he withdrawing his favor? In my lifetime, I've seen God kicked out of schools. I've seen him kicked out of courtrooms. I see homosexuals in the pulpit. I see this transgender movement coming across our nation quickly. I see surgical altercations for gender now within, within our communities. You know, we have a pastor in Lockhart, which I won't mention the name, who paid for a sex change for his daughter. I mean, nobody should be doing that. You know, we are living in a, in a time where Satan is starting to take over. And the only way Satan can come and take over is when God and Jesus withdraw their faith. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's what I believe. And that's what I see everywhere I go. I see churches that are preaching one doctrine, and you go to another church and they preach another doctrine. I see people that are just coming to church and playing church in many, many cases. I mean, everybody does, but some people do. 
I see people not saying what they mean and not meaning what they say. I see people that are or that are dancing the dance but not walking the walk. You know, God will not tolerate the church, his church, to behave like that and not withdraw his favor. We know what happened in Israel when they when they did those things. God withdrew his favor for 70 years. They were carried into captivity. Jeremiah tried to warn them. Jeremiah did everything he could to tell them. God sent them, Jeremiah, to tell them. God has sent us many, many, many prayer warriors to warn us about these things. And what has the church done? The church has stood mostly as a whole, passively by, while these things have come upon us. Now, yeah, we, we do believe the Lord. We do serve the Lord. We love the Lord. Our salvation is not in jeopardy. But the favor of the Lord has been withdrawn from our country as a whole. And the innocent are caught up in it just like the ones that are guilty. And we are suffering. We're not sure about what our taxes are going to be next year. We're not sure about if our school is going to be open. We're not sure if this COVID-19 will ever go away. We're having lies told to us one after the other. And we have to decipher that with our limited knowledge of some of this stuff. Some of this stuff is so complicated that they can't even explain it. You know, I, I just, what is, what is Satan? Isn't he the author of deception and lies? Yeah. And how can, the, how can we be ruled by deception and lies when Christ's favor is upon us? Can't. And so that's why I believe that God's favor has been withdrawn from the United States. But the good news the, that's all bad things I'm going to do. Terrible. Mother's Day with that. You just heard what I said. That's all. Right? Sometimes the truth is all. But the good news is that God wrote in his book a way back to him. This is, this is the roadmap when God withdraws his favor. He says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or pestilence among my people, if my people. Who are God's people? We are. We know that Israel is the chosen people, but did you know that when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, you become grafted in, you become the adopted sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, and everything that's promised to Israel is promised to you as well? The protection and the punishment. And so here we are, we're, 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 we're withdrawn from God's favor, but yet we have these promises. You know, the same mouth that created the heavens and the earth in six days is the same mouth that gave us these promises. And if Jesus Christ and God, I call them in one, but if, if, they can, if they can proclaim and build everything that you see, the, the land, the, the, the the animals, the, the fish, the birds of the air, the heavens in six days, and speak that into existence. Everything said that God spoke and it was created, and God spoke and it was created. In Genesis 2 and 3, that same voice is the same voice that promises us blessings, promises of protection, promises of love. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. But when he withdraws his favor, he's not gone. He's just waiting for us as a corporate body of church and the believers to come back to him. 
with the right heart. This passage is not for people that don't believe in Jesus. This passage is not for the atheists. This passage is for us to intercede on our nation that doesn't know any better so that God's favor will come back to this country. Does the church do that? Does the church as a corporate body come together and pray for our nation? Many of them do. And many of them don't. I think there's more that don't than do. It's this woke thing. I you know, can anybody explain to me what that really is? I have no clue. You know, I kind of took me a while to understand what TC was. And woke, I don't have any idea. But I do know that truth is truth and lies lie. If my people who are called by my name, wow. You know, we can call ourselves a Christian, can't we? You know, I, I, I was in, in Mexico one time and this guy comes up to me, I'm not I'm a brother, I'm a Christian. What do other people think about you? We can call ourselves whatever we want to call ourselves. I can tell you I'm a doctor of physics or something, which I'm not. <laughs> but what do other people see in you? Do they see Christ in your life? Do they see the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering. Do they see that in your life? See, God says that I'll know you and I'll know you by your fruit. That's how other people know us. That's how they see us is by our fruit. And it says, if my people who are called by my name, that's what you, not what you call yourself, it's what other people call you. Does it line up? I certainly hope so. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. You know, humility is a pretty interesting one on this one. A lot of people struggle with humility. They struggle with it because, you know, we're, we're all prideful in who we are and what we've attached ourselves to. But this kind of humility is a brokenness. This is a humility that actually breaks your soul. This humility brings you to your knees knowing that you haven't done it right. You're the one that made the mess of everything, and you're willing to admit that. And you're willing to relinquish the keys to the control of everything over to your heavenly Father. That's the kind of humility we're talking about here. And that humility sometimes is really tough to take when we think we've been doing everything right. You know, we, we know that we know that as a as a corporate body, at least this church, from what I've seen today, is doing what God wants them to do. You do pray for one another. You do live, love one another. You do lift each other up, but not everybody is like you. This message that you're hearing today may not be for you. This message may be for you to hear to tell to someone else. This message is a message that, that I didn't write it. I'm just telling you about it. And humility is something that, that when you're broken to that point, you realize that you can't fix it. There's nothing you can do in your power to make things better. And you have to get on your knees or get on your place where, where, where God knows that you're broken. You know, Elspeth and I travel a lot. We used to before COVID. 
And one of the places that we traveled to was Navy, Nigeria, the International Conference of Pastors. A guy by the name of Tony Orkaki. I don't know if anyone here knows Tony. He comes through here every now and then helps and asks for help for his ministry in, in Nawi, Nigeria. But Elspeth and I were asked to go there as one of several international guest speakers for the conference called the Seed for Change. Thousands and thousands and thousands of pastors were there. And as we were preaching and worshiping and just sharing all day, this was a week-long event, there were some thugs or some gangsters that were outside the church with the windows open were leaning in the windows <laughs> trying to hear what was going on. And it was a, I kept looking at them. You could tell they were gangsters. You could tell that they were up to no good. But you know that after, by the time we got through preaching and singing and, and all that was going on, everybody got quiet. I didn't know what was going on. Tony said, Mark, Mark, just be quiet for a moment. And I noticed in the back of the auditorium, this group of thugs and gangsters on their hands and knees crawled down the aisles to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that was humility. I have never in my life seen such humility. And it wasn't just one or two. It was the entire gang. Now the churches in Nigeria are not like this. The churches in Nigeria are almost a football field long. They're huge. They hold 10, 15,000 people. And on this conference, it was full. There must have been 5,000 pastors there with their wives and their families. There were people hanging out of the balconies. This place was so big. And this group of boys, thugs is what I thought in the end crawling on their hands and knees and nearly a football field to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never seen that. They lay sprawled out in front of the pulpit and we began to pray for them. We began praying for them, for them to receive the Lord. And we were all crying. It was really emotional. It still hits me today. And as we laid our hands on them one by one, they got up and was rejoicing that they had a new life. See, they knew immediately that Christ had entered into their lives. And they were humble enough to realize that they were in, they were in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we that humble that we can admit that we've made a mess of everything? Are we humble enough to have a new beginning and a new direction and allow the Lord Jesus Christ to guide us to help our country, to help our church, to help our family, and no longer make these decisions without first consulting God. See, many times we just go and make these decisions. We don't even ask God. We just make the decision. We need to be guided by Jesus so that we can guide others in the way they should go. If we go in our own accord, then most of the time, that's going to be a wrong direction. But when we're guided by Jesus, it's always the way that Jesus would want you to go. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Wow. Do we pray an intercessory prayer individually? I know we just did today. 
But do when someone asks us to pray, do we say, yes, I'll pray for you, and then forget about it halfway through the day? Do we take the time to really pray for that person when they ask you to pray for them? I got a confession. Sometimes I don't. Many times people ask me to pray for them, and I got so much going on that I completely forget all about it. But when I remember it, I do stop and pray. See, this prayer that he's talking about is the intercessory prayer for the problems that are going on because this whole idea is about our nation. This whole idea is about God withdrawing his favor, not just from one person, but in an entire people's group. And so do we intercessory pray for those that we know that are hurting? Do we intercessory pray for, for the drug addict we did today? Praise God. I, just, I love the prayer today. I've said that a couple of times already. Yeah, I have. It's just wonderful, you know. Prayer is so important. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face. You know, seeking God's face is, is more than just coming to church. It's more than just praying together. Seeking God's face is living in the presence of God. Seeking God's face is living in the presence of God. In other words, God is watching every move you make, everything you do, every word that you say, every contact that you've made, and everything that you do, say, feel, or touch. You're in the presence of the living God. When we seek God's face, we're, we're seeking not only approval, we're not only seeking uh, some sort of divine intervention, but we're seeking that guidance that we so desperately need. You know, living in the presence of God will change your life forever. You'll, you'll stop doing things that you used to do because of the guilt. And you'll begin to do more of those things that bring you joy because you know that, that God's got his arms around you and say, man, that was really good. I want, to keep, I want you to keep doing those things. Living in the presence of God is it's a two-edged two sword. It comes with discipline and it comes with blessing. And the disciplines are those disciplines so that we can receive the blessing, not just separate us. Seeking his face. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You know, turning from our wicked ways is not just kind of, well, okay, I won't do that. You know, oh, I didn't mean that word. Not what that means. Turning from your wicked ways is a 180 degree turn. It's not 179.6, not 180.1, it's 180 degrees. It's completely opposite in the direction we're going. Now, when we, uh, when we turn from our wicked ways, we're turning from sin. And when you turn from sin, you can't turn to Larry. Larry might be a sinner too. You can't. You can't turn to to nothing, though. You can't be an isolated. You can't be isolated. It's just not possible in this world. You have to turn to something. And when you turn from your wicked ways, you need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ because He's the only one that can that can deliver us from sin. It said, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And Christ cannot live 
coupled to sin. So if you're going to come to him and turn from your wicked ways, you have to need to put that sin behind you. Does that mean that you'll never a sinner? Of course it doesn't. We'll always sin. It's just how we are. But what do we do when we sin? Do we repent? Yes, we do. Are we sorry that we separated ourselves from Jesus for a time? Yes, we are. And we try not to do those things again. And we live in a, in a constant state of repentance on our knees before the Lord, humble, seeking his face. And he's in this constant state of forgiving us. And we're in this constant state of always turning to Jesus. That's what Christians do. That's what makes us different than the rest of the world. That we know who to turn to. There's no doubt as to who to turn to. But do we do it all the time? The answer is, is that no, we really don't. You know, I was a workaholic most of my life. You guys don't know me, but I was. I would go to work at 3 o'clock in the morning and come home at night at 9 o'clock. I did that for 20 years, seven days a week, 365 days a year, for 20 years I did that. You know, I made a lot of money, that's true. But my kids grew up without parents, without a dad anyway. My wife was always there. My wife was forced to raise the kids without me, even though I was married and I came home at 9 o'clock. But it wasn't fair to them. What on earth did I have to show for it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing that means anything. You know, if you're a workaholic and you need to turn away from that, God will give you those, those, those things you need. God will give you the blessings that you need. God will give you the money, the finances, the homes, the cars, whatever it is you think you need. But God gave you these families. And if you're like me as a workaholic, go home and reevaluate that. Dedicate time to your family. Don't spend 20 years like I did, 3 o'clock in the morning and then coming home at night. You know, I tell people that because I don't ever want to see anybody I know repeat what I did. You, know, you guys have your own thing that you need to turn from. And I would expect you as Christians to, to take that and share it with other people so they won't repeat what you did. See, that's part of that turning away. That turning away gives you experience. It gives you credibility that I made it, I turned from it, God blessed it, and now I need to tell other people. So whatever it is that you've turned from, and you've turned to God, and you've turned to Jesus, and Jesus, his blessings came upon you, and his promises became real to you, and your faith grew, what do you do with that faith? You tell others. If you're a thief and you got away from thieving, tell others. If you're a liar and you got away from lying, tell others. If you were a, a something of addiction and you got away from it, tell others. Others are having the same problems, turning away from those things that you had problems turning away from. But tell others whatever they is. Mine is worth all. Yours is probably going to be different. It's my people. Who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways that I will hear from heaven. Can you imagine? 
what heaven is going to sound like when we do these things? It's going to sound like Nayway, Nigeria, when 5,000 pastors opened their voices and began praying on one accord, 5,000 people all at once in an audible voice. The windows on the building were shaking. It was an awesome time. I know as Baptists, we want 20% That's okay, too. But it's okay when we all pray at once, too, as long as it's in the Spirit, it's from the heart. It's from you to God. That's okay, too. And I can tell you that the Holy Spirit was there. I was this high off the ground while they were praying. It was just an incredible time. Yeah, that's what heaven must be like. That must be what, what it sounds like. Just rejoicing that we would come back to a heart of worship. And then it says that I will hear from heaven and I will forgive your sin. You know, the Bible says that sin puts us into bondage to that sin. It says that we become slave to whatever sin is in our lives. I can't imagine being forgiven of, of sin means that the bonds are being broken. It means that I am no longer a slave to that sin because I've been forgiven by that sin. See, it's more than just, okay, son, I set you back in the hole. That's a certain part of it. He says, I remember your sins as far as the east is from the west. But it also says that sin in our lives, we become bond servants to that sin. If it's lying, if it's cheating, if it's stealing, if it's addiction, if it's lewdness, we become bond servants to that sin. And the only way to break that sin is to receive the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to give each and every one of us. I mean, God is over there trying to give it to you. Here's my forgiveness. Here's my forgiveness. But you don't get it until you take it, right? You have to walk forward and say, I receive this. And you, when you receive that forgiveness, you no longer walk in sin because you've been delivered from that sin. Do you still have desires for that? Maybe at first. Maybe. But that's okay. The desires go away the longer you stay away from it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from, from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Folks, our land needs healing. It truly, truly needs healing. And this is the roadmap. God put this in His holy scriptures for a time like this. It's not the first time that a nation has been in this position. And that's why it was so important that God put this in here. And I hope today that you've got a clearer understanding of what this passage truly means. I pray that you've got a deeper meaning. As to what this is, it's not shallow, is it? It's pretty deep. But that's how our God works. Now, that's the whole sermon today. And that's pretty much what I had to say. Amen. Today's Mother's Day, though. I can't stop like there, can I? That would be awful. On Mother's Day, to stop with going to dinner. Come on, man. You know, I've, mothers are dear to all of us. You know, in the Bible, it talks about perfect love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it talks about 
a perfect love cast out all fear. You know, and I can't I can't think of a better example than a mother's love. You know, mother's love is something that begins to get developed at conception. And by the time that child is born, it's at full strength. And if anybody doesn't think so, get in between mom and baby just one time. You'll never do it. Now, many women are called mama bears for a reason. Yeah, they'll protect their child with their life. The mothers are special. The mothers will stay up all night long taking care of the children. They'll sacrifice every ounce of energy they ever had, and they'll love every moment of it. I heard some chuckling back there. <laughs> <laughs> but she spent nine months with this thing growing inside of you, and then when it was born, the love was just so incredible that she wanted to spend every waking moment with that child. And that child wants to spend every moment with you because he knows that he depends on you for the nourishment and training and everything else. Every time a child cries, mom is right there. I mean, she is just right there. She's there to give the child assurance that it's going to be okay. That she's willing to do whatever it takes to soothe that child or give it whatever it needs so that that child won't be crying. And whatever needs that it has, whether it's a kind hug, kiss, food, just to be rocked. Mom's there three o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the morning. Whether you work all day and work all night, and the next night you haven't had two days sleep, you'll still be there. Whether you need a shower or not, the kid will always come first. It's a 24 hour a day job, 365 days a year. Never gets a day job. My kids are nearly 40, and my wife still doesn't have a day job. You can laugh. <laughs> <laughs> But you never stop being a mom, do you? They can be miles away, and you still never stop being a mom. Your child may have left this earth and ends up in heaven, but they're still a mom. Never went away. The love for that child, the yearning for that child, the wondering what he's doing up in heaven, will never go away. You, know, you never stop being a mom, whether they're grown up or not. And the blessings of being a grandma. It's like times two all over again, isn't it? But you can send that one home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's just nothing better than your mom. I know my mom was sacrificed herself. Now, my mom was forced to raise a whole family by herself. But she did the best she could. She really did. You know, moms right now are there's a lot of single moms out there. And they're sacrificing themselves. And they're doing whatever they can. And my hat's off to you. You know, I, I we my wife and I have been married for 40 plus years. And I can't imagine, even though I wasn't there, how she could have done it if if she had to do some of the things, had she, she had to do every single thing. Make the money, mow the yard. Take care of the children. I mean, I just can't imagine. 
For those of you that are single moms, man, my hat's off to you. I know what mine was. You know, it's uh, the love of a mom is unconditional. It's eternal. It's protective. It's a possessive love. And that possessive love, I'm telling you, don't get in the middle of it. Don't be telling mama how to raise her children. Don't be telling mama that, that she's doing it all wrong. She knows that child better than you'll ever know. Well, there may be a time to step in, but just because you think something may not be good enough. Mamas are just they're incredible. They're just nothing in the world like them. I don't think that my mother ever got that credit that she deserved. I really don't. She never asked for it. All she ever wanted was for her children to love her. That was it. That was reward enough for her. Not only do our moms love us when we are not lovable. Is everybody here lovable? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, bet, I'll bet some of you guys are not. <laughs> oh, there you go. Hey. There's some back there that say they are. Okay. All right. Man, I bet you there's some in here that were quite a handful. And your mom loves you anyway. Your mom probably waited up at night so she could spanking. <laughs> and I bet that spanking was well deserved. <laughs> You know, moms not only do that, but they take care of the groceries in most cases. They take care of the kitchen, take care of the household concerns, the budget and the funds in the entire family. On top of raising the head. You know, my daughter's married to a guy. She's not here, so I can say this. She was here. Like this. So my daughter's married to a guy who's a wonderful. He works his tail off. He's got a great job. He doesn't think that she works for him. And how many women have experienced that? Every single one has. Because you're a stay-at-home mom or whatever. You've probably experienced at some point in your life that you're not really doing much. You're not pulling as much as everybody else. And we need to educate, if there's any men in this room, I feel that way. We need to educate you right now. Right now. And if you think that you can take care of the groceries, the kitchen, the household concerns, and the budgets, and the kids, go for it. <laughs> go for it. Can't say you don't think you can. You know, moms are just absolutely incredible. God gave them an energy level that is much higher than men. My wife goes to bed way after I go to bed, and she's up before I get up. She doesn't seem like she needs any more rest than she got. I don't know how she does that. Most men I know are in bed by nine o'clock. You know, they even sacrifice their own health, their own well-being for their children. Moms are the first mentors in a child's life, teaching them the academics of the ABCs. They help them. They're the first ones to teach our children right from wrong. They teach us to walk, talk, smile, and laugh. Those are moms that do all of this. When I list all the duties of a mom, I wonder if my mom ever had moments of rest. I wonder if she ever really had time for herself. If she did, I didn't see it. 
No, she dedicated so much of her life to us, and I know you moms here did as well. You know, she prayed for me constantly. I'm one of those that really needed it. Really. Can you imagine a young boy in Dallas, Texas, with a brother 11 months older than him with no dad running the streets of Dallas? Wasn't pretty at all. My mother spent a lot of time with me. And I know you moms do as well. You spend as much time on your knees as you do on your feet in some cases. Because you know that God is the answer. You've given your life to your children, your God-given abilities over to God to raise those children in the way they should go. You know, it's not for that reason. It's for that reason that the number one request of the Mother's Day is they want a whole week of rest. Go into the darn thing. And at the end of that week, they want every single thing done. Right? I do, yeah. Can we give that to our mothers today? No, okay, well. If you were to ask most moms, they would want at least one day of rest. And they don't want to wake up to twice as much as you know. You know, we honor you, mom. You know, the love of the mother is made perfect in the faith of God. And the reward for a mom is for children. That's, that's the greatest reward we can possibly have. You know, we're called children of God, right? Called children for a reason. So the greatest reward that a mom could ever have is for children to become a mom. We need that. And the greatest reward that I think most of y'all want is for your children to do that as well. Today, the church has flowers growing back in the corner. I understand that there's some candy flowers and there's some real flowers. There's not enough to buy the one for everyone to get one. So whatever you end up with, be happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is, right? I pray that this message has touched you in a way that it touched me when I heard it. I pray that you can take this message to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, and explain deeply what this passage truly really means. And not take this passage as a flippant, off the surface type message that we need to get on our knees and pray for our nation. So much deeper than that. So much more. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the ability to give this message to this church, Lord. I thank you for the laughter of this church. I thank you for all that this church is and all that it will be, Lord. I know that you're you're right here in the midst of this church, Lord. And I, those that are not here, I know that, um, that, that they're being blessed by you and they're serving in another capacity. Our heart goes to them. I pray that all of those that that have heard this type of message for the first time, that, that they go home and they never they never forget it. I pray that that they um, that we all put it into our lives and that we live according to your word, your holy scriptures, Lord. We know that you put everything in the Bible for a divine reason. And perhaps this is for a divine reason, a divine time such as this, that we do need to take care of, that we do need to pay attention to turning to you. And asking for forgiveness for our nations, Lord. 
Amen. 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 Amen.